What's going on, everyone? This is Realtor Joe Simona. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Your Cup of Joe. Today, we have with us Emil Israeloff with Lake Michigan Credit Union. Emil, thanks for being with me today. If you want to introduce hey, yourself to everyone. Absolutely, Joe. It's an honor. Thank you very much. Emil Israeloff, uh, Lake Michigan Credit Union. I've been a mortgage lender specializing in construction loans. I've um, been doing this for 27 years now. I know I don't look that old, but <laughs> um, serving Michigan, Florida, Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, and Wisconsin. That's great. That's great. How long have you been with Lake Michigan now? Uh, actually, 10 years. Wow. They've, how long have they been around? So uh, Lake Michigan Credit Union actually started um, as Grand Rapids Teachers Credit Union in 1933 in Lloyd Hutt's basement. We actually have a scholarship um, to honor his memory uh but yeah and through evolution and of our membership um eventually they changed the name to lake michigan credit union because they started serving more than just teachers but uh they've been around since 1933 so our, just like the lions we, we're at our 90th anniversary this year great except you guys have been winning since day one <laughs> yeah 100 right 100 our, our members have been winning exactly for those that aren't familiar with credit unions, there's qualifications to become a member. I know some of them are you have to live, work, or worship in a specific state. Are the qualifications for a membership at Lake Michigan Credit Union uh, similar to others where you have to live, work, worship yes. in one of the states that you service? Yeah, so those guidelines are set by uh, whether it's a star state or federal chartered uh, credit union. Those are regulatory issues. So uh, with us, you have to live worship or work in uh, michigan or florida which are two brick and mortar states and then uh, the surrounding territories um i think we have to make a five dollar donation to the als okay if you yeah if we're not in that state physically got it got it for those that aren't familiar with construction loans there's uh several different types of construction loans construction loans where the uh, builder or developer is paid out at the end and construction loans where there's draws. Can you tell us a little bit about what the difference is and what they're called? Yeah, absolutely. So the most popular one is the one-time close construction to permanent financing. And what one-time close means is you close before construction begins and uh, your rate's locked in so you don't have to worry about rising interest rates, right? So I have clients that a year and a half ago locked in or a year ago locked in in the fours and now their house is completed and interest rates are 7%, 6%, you know, depending on what you catch. And they don't have to worry about that because they locked in at the beginning of construction. So the way a construction loan works is um, it could be used as a, you know, it could be in a purchase situation where you're buying the lot and having the builder, you know, build your home. Um, we pay out the lot at the beginning at closing and we, uh, we incrementally uh, wire funds to the builder through a supervised draw process. That draw process, um, you know, has certain elements of it. So the bill, we know that the builder's using the funds for your house and not somebody else's. So every time the builder submits a draw request, um, they have to submit uh, several documents with it. One of them being a sworn statement. So a sworn statement is a line by line budget that identifies every contractor and every material supplier that's gonna be paid and there's columns. So when the builder requests for excavation, you know, permits excavation foundation, let's say in the first draw, the builder has to identify who's being paid and how much. 
we issue those funds. Now, when the builder comes back for the second draw, he has to provide lien waivers for those contractors sub or subcontractors and material suppliers. And a lien waiver is nothing more than a receipt from a subcontractor or a material supplier that says, I've been paid. We take those documents and we send them out to the title company and the appraiser that originally appraised the blueprints. That appraiser walks through the house and um, you know, looks for those things to be completed, sends us a progress report. At the same time, the title company goes through and validates all those waivers. They call those subcontractors and material suppliers and say, hey, we have a signed lien waiver from you. We're just calling to authenticate it. They say, yep. Once that happens, the title company issues an endorsement for that amount, and they send those back to us. Once our construction draw department gets those documents back, they look through it, make sure that the funds requested aren't too far ahead of the progress of the home, and they issue the draw. That whole process takes about a business, you know, about one week, four to five business days. And then we release the next round of funds. I've, I've been a licensed realtor, although I've been around it since January of 2012. And everything is a learning process. Like today, I'm, today I'm learning a lot uh, based on what you just told me right now. Now, regardless of the type of construction loan that somebody goes through, are you, as the uh, loan officer, are you involved in the process every step of the way, or do they kind of get uh, not bounced around? Because I know how your service is. I know how Lake Michigan Credit Union service is. But um, are you kind of taken out of the loop at some point in the process, or you, as the loan officer, are you you stay in uh, knowledge and in contact with the process? Great question. So once, you know, there's a separation of duties in lending, right? So I can't be the originator and the underwriter. And, you know, so I originate the loan. We take it all the way through closing. Then our construction draw team, which is the best in class. We're the number one construction lender in the state, and it's because of our draw team. Uh, so they take that over, but I'm copied on all the draw requests. So I know what prog you know what stage of progress my clients' homes are at. I know when there's an issue that comes up, sometimes there's a dispute between the borrower and the builder, and we have to get involved, not me personally. However, we're aware of it. Um, that separation of duties keeps me out of it, but keeps me informed. So when my client calls me with a concern, I'm on top of it. That's... That's actually great to know because some people uh, some people would expect, oh, the lend this lender is going to be part of the process the entire time and may not understand the process, but the way that you just explains it, explained it sets it out for the client so that way there's no misunderstandings or misinterpretations. Yeah, so with the you know just with the draw process, um, the builders, um, you know. When a builder, I work with a lot of production and what, which we call semi-custom because there's really no production houses anymore, right? The, everything's, everything can be customized. And I work with a lot of custom builders too. So what, what I like about our draw system is you're, you know, you're Joe Simone, a builder today, right? Well, you're not going to have the same draw specialist on every loan, right? You're going to be, every one of your clients is going to be assigned the next draw specialist so it does two things. A, it doesn't overload one draw specialist. And the most important part about it is, 
hey, you're not going to get too friendly with one of our draw specialists where they might say, oh, you know something, we'll let this waiver slide, right? Yeah. So, you know, integrity is everything. We're dealing in some cases with multi-million dollar loans, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on, you know, you can't build a house for for under three or four hundred thousand dollars these days so you know we take that very seriously and we're looking out for our member uh, you know regardless of the referral sources the builder our number one concern is our member absolutely and that's refreshing to know that you know uh, there's uh, lenders out there that care about the members and don't just care about their end result the profit in their pocket which is the similar values and morals that i hold because to me yes i need to make a living but at the end of the day, if my client's not satisfied, I'm not satisfied. And if I haven't done everything that I could to satisfy my client, then I'm not satisfied. One thing among many things that I'll commend you on is your ability to read self-employed income. <laughs> and I know a lot of the deals that we have done have been uh, self-employed income. Actually, I think all of them have been uh, self-employed income. And not, what, not with just one, two, three, four, five, or ten businesses – we're talking about dozens of businesses. Um, so that's definitely a challenge as well. You've built up a rapport with a huge builder with Pulte. Yeah, so uh, Pulte Mortgage has their own, you know, Pulte doesn't do construction loans, they do end loans. So uh, Pulte, you know, has their own mortgage company. But uh, any mortgage company that sells all their loans has limitations of what their inv investors' limitations are. So with Lake Michigan Credit Union, we sell, you know, we do the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, VA, all the standard loan products. But we also have the ability to portfolio a loan. And what that means is we fund every loan with our own money, but we have an opportunity to be the investor on the loan instead of having to sell it to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. So in a lot of circumstances where, you know, uh, somebody's been in business, you know, but maybe self-employed for less than two years, we can make that exception where a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loan would have to have a two-year history of self-employment documented by tax returns or, you know, a situation where um, in a divorce situation where Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac require a six-month history of receipt of child support and alimony, um, in thir 36 months of continuance, meaning three years, you know, um, that there's going to be a continuance of those payments for three years, uh, sometime and you know, and the clients depending on that income to qualify for the loan. Well, in a divorce situation, we see the joint filed tax returns for the last two years. So that's something that I could take to my credit committee and say, hey, we know this person can afford to pay the child support. And even though we don't have a six month history, you know, this client needs to buy today and we'll put that into a portfolio loan. And once the client seasons and can qualify for the agency guidelines, we'll present them with opportunities to refinance if it makes financial sense for them. Got it. So that's kind of like uh, a reverse of an overlay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's an exception. It's an exception to guidelines. And that's, you know, that's the beauty about uh, being a portfolio lender in those situations. You know, we can modify guidelines or make exceptions to, you know, in certain circumstances. Got it. And for those of you who don't know what a uh, what an overlay is, if Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac have a guideline saying you need uh, two years of 
tax returns or two years of employment, um, a lender could have an overlay to say, well, we understand that's their guidelines, but we want three years. In this case, if a uh, based on what Emil just said, it's it's an exception. So it's it's the opposite of an overlay if you uh, yeah. if you're familiar with an overlay. Yeah, the most common overlays with some lenders is you know like. Um, you've heard that FHA doesn't really truly have a minimum credit score. They could be manually underwritten, right? So, but a lot of lenders put an overlay of a minimum credit score of 580 or 620, you know, because uh, they want to make sure that they're underwriting to a standard, right? So those overlays are very common. Um, but yeah, we, you know, every company has overlays, but, you know, we have the portfolio power to be able to, make exceptions to certain guidelines, but it's got to make sense. You know, we don't want to, you know, as a credit union, you know, we're funding these with member deposits basically. And the last thing we want to do is put our members money at risk. So it's got to make sense, you know, and that's what our credit committee's for. Our credit committee meets daily. So, you know, if I submit a credit committee request today for a special exception, chances are it'll, you know, be out today or tomorrow, you know, we up to 48 hours, we get a decision on it. You got it. In the last three, four years, since the market has boomed and since inventory has been lower and naturally new developments are coming up, are you seeing an influx of construction loans? Yes. Um, so with, um, you know, with obviously if there's no houses to buy, the only thing you can do is build, right? So a lot of developers, um, you know, are developing subdivisions and we're happy to be their partner to help finance these new construction homes. And in my opinion, I think that, you know, with limited inventory, you know, becomes a bidding war, right? So you're bidding thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 over the listing price just to just to buy the house. Well, this house has aging infrastructure, mechanicals, roofs, windows, right? So new construction is a better option in many of these cases, as long as there's new, you know, new construction available in the area that you're looking. Because if I was gonna pay a premium, I'd rather pay a premium on new construction than some, you know, than grandma's house, where I have to go in and replace everything. So I'd rather pay a little bit more for new construction, have all brand new warranties and, you know, life cycles on appliances and roofs and windows, all the major components of a home, instead of having to, you know, bid over asking just to get the house and then have to go in there and replace all that stuff. Got it. So question for you. Right now, if somebody's uh, building a home in a subdivision that a developer's uh, building versus a, you know, home that they just tore down in the middle of a subdivision and they put, you know, upgrades in there. They might put a, uh, upgraded countertops. They might put, um, more recessed lightings, more windows. They might put in a sunroom in there. Is there a specialized or are the appraisers that are appraising these new construction homes, are they vetted more, thoroughly to see how they're going to appraise these. I've been in the business, like I said, since 2012. I've been licensed since 2012. I have more knowledge in it, but I have a little bit more of an understanding, but 
Can you tell everyone listening, are these appraisers who are coming out telling the bank their opinion of value on the property, are they more vetted? So, uh, yes and no. I mean, all of our, you know, we have an appraisal panel. We we manage our independent appraisers directly. We don't go through a third party. But uh, there are certain appraisers that say, yes, I do construction loans, and certain con- appraisers that say, I don't do construction loans, right? Um, a construction loan appraisal, in my opinion, should be easier for an appraiser because they don't have to walk through a house and look for all the upgrades. Everything's spelled out by the architect on the blueprints, on the sales sheet from the builder. Um, so it gives them a better idea of the upgrades. Now, the level of finishes on the interior, the exterior, you know, that's when an appraiser makes an adjustment, right? They can only use the sales data that's out there that you and I see if we pull up comp reports. But their job is to bracket those and make adjustments based on size, based on quality, based on age. Um, and most of the time, new construction appraisals come in at the price, somewhere around the price. But when you get into these super custom homes, you know, where you want something so specific that we might not be able to find comps for it. You know, so you're spending three and a half million dollars to build this house. Well, you know, we might only be able to comp it out at three and a quarter. But for those people, typically it's not an issue to come up with the additional funds. And a lot of things on uh, contracts, right? Um, Like, for instance, builders give allowances for certain items because you can't get an exact price. No vendor is going to give you an exact price for something that's not needed for, you know, until six months down the road. They can't predict their own pricing. So they'll, they'll build in allowances. And in those cases, let's say you have a $40,000 cabinet allowance and it comes in at 45, the homeowner is responsible for writing that check for the difference. Yeah, that's why, uh, that's why homeowners who are building a home are encouraged to add all their upgrades that they want up front, up front uh, before the change order window closes out. That way, when it goes to the lender and it goes to the appraiser, they see all those and they're able to comp those out. Yeah, and you know, unless you're working on a, with a fixed price builder, right, and you don't make any changes, you should be okay. But you know, but in most situations, you know you're in the process of building a house and you walk through a store or you go to, you know, you go see another house or you go to somebody's house and you see something, you're like, Oh my God, we didn't think of that. Why don't we think of that? Oh, change order time. Right. So, and again, those situations, uh, you know, the borrower has to come out of pocket on those change orders because we can't go back and change the loan amount, especially if you started with only 5% down, there's, you know, no more room in the loan. So, but yeah. change orders are typically funded out of the borrower's pocket. One thing, Emil, that I want to compliment you on is your integrity. For those that have dealt with me, they know that I'm professional. I take my fiduciary responsibility to my client very seriously, as should all people. So the the one of many things that I like about you is that you're a no BS guy. You You tell it how it is. And obviously, with being respectful to the client and to the agent, but you don't sugarcoat it. And that's one thing I commend you on. And that's one thing that's hard to find in many businesses, let alone this business, when this is one of the most exciting times of somebody's life and one of their biggest financial investments, they should be guided and not 
be asked. And that's one thing I commend you for. Thank you. Thank you. Well, and, and you said it, Joe, you know, integrity is everything in this, right? Um, if I, if I give, you know, if I put my name on a pre-approval letter for somebody that I haven't vetted and I haven't reviewed their tax returns, you know, it's only going to reflect poorly upon me and then ultimately the referral source because they're going to come back to you and say, why'd you refer me to this clown? He, you know, he set me up for failure. I, I went and I put an offer in on this house. My wife got all excited. My kids got all excited. And then, you know, at the end of the day, we didn't qualify. You know, I can't put anybody in that position, right? Not you, not our customers. So for me, you know, if, if you do your homework, up, take the extra time up front, do the homework, and then that way everybody's moving forward with confidence. And, you know, one of the other things, like when, when you present an offer, you know you copy me on it. And I call the listing agent and follow up and I tell them, I'm like, hey, I've done all the homework on these borrowers. That's why, you know, I signed that pre-approval letter. It's as good as gold, right? And what that does to the listing agents and when that listing agent's presenting those offers to the seller, they're like, hey, you know, actually the agent reached out, you know, the lender reached out to me on this one and told me they've gone through all these steps with the borrower and have reviewed everything and, you know, that sticks out to the seller because that just eliminates a lot of fears for the seller. Because, you know, how many times have you seen a transaction go to day 29 of 30 and then the lender calls and says, yeah. I'm sorry, we can't close. I have. And before we wrap this up, I'll say I've had listings where clients, uh, where the, the selling agent, who is the purchaser's agent for terminology, has said, we have a pre-approval. We don't have it in our possession. Our lender is uh, in, out of town on his on his way back into town. Who's the lender? Emil Israelov. I said, no need for the pre-approval. <laughs> Emil, John Smith. Oh, he's great. He's working with Jane Smith. They're great. No need for the pre-approval. That's something that I'm able to confidently represent to my client. So, Emil, there's also interest-only payments while somebody is building a home, there's interest-only loans. Can you briefly briefly tell us about that? Absolutely, Joe. So when let's say you came to us and asked for a 30-year fixed construction loan. You get 12 months to build your home. During that 12 months is interest-only payments. Now, if you're building a custom home, we do have 15- and 18-month locks as well. However, during that construction period, you pay interest-only based on how much has been drawn to the builder, not on the entire loan amount. So you have incremental payments based on how much has been outstanding on the draw. So if you only have $100,000 at 6%, that's 6,000 divided by 12, you're paying $500 a month for every 100,000 at a 6% interest rate. So in those payments, progress payments happen until the loan converts. Once the house is completed, we've executed the final inspection, the builder submitted their final draw, the loan converts to a permanent mortgage, There's a couple of documents you sign, no additional closing costs, and the loan goes into your amortized payment with principal interest, taxes, and insurance. So if you're doing a construction loan withdraws, it's similar to a line of credit where you're only paying on the money that you that you have used so far. So if, if the whole loan is half a million dollars, you're going to be paying the you're gonna and you draw 125,000 at a time. The first draw you're only gonna be paying based on the first 125,000. After the second draw, based Correct. on 250. 
Correct. It works just like a line of credit until the home is completed. And at the time of completion, we convert your loan to a permanent financing. Got it. That's great information. Everyone, thanks for listening and tuning in for this episode of Your Cup of Joe. Stay tuned for the next one. Thanks for having me, Joe. Thank you.